Let's go ahead and uh, grab your copy of God's Word. You know where we are this morning. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to focus our attention on verses 18 through 20 this morning. And by way of reminder, we began a section last week wherein Peter is laser-focused on the Christian's duty in various types of relationships. Namely, what our posture is to be as Christians. What is our posture to be as a Christian? And these three areas of life Peter is focusing on are government, as we saw last week, our posture in marriage, that's coming soon, and today, the Christian's posture in the workplace. To reiterate, Peter is specifically focused on how Christians react and interact in these three areas. That is to say, there are various situations we will find ourselves in at different times in our lives. But what God is concerned with is how you are responding, how you are acting and interacting and reacting. As we said last week, there is a key word that's going to continue to be our key word. It was hupotasso, which means submit. This is a command that is initially hard for our ears to accept because we think from a perspective of how we are being treated and we seek to justify our actions, whether good or bad, based on how we are treated. You've heard people say or you've said yourself, you want me to treat you better, treat me better, or some variation of that. But the Christian's perspective is how you are responding regardless of what's going on around you. The Christian's posture in these three areas, though, is to be first mindful of God and then react in a way where you are mindful of God, and that's going to lead you to, in at least these three areas, to submit. The title of our sermon is Submitting While Mindful of God. So in our time together, we're going to see that Peter is exhorting believing servants to respectfully submit to their masters, regardless of how they are treated, because this is a gracious thing in the eyes of God. Oh, how counterintuitive our faith is. So if you would, please take your copy of God's Word and stand with us as we read chapter 2 of 1 Peter, verses 18, 19, and 20. This is the Word of the living God. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures 
sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have worshipped you in song and we pray that you have received our worship as a pleasing aroma before your throne this morning. It's that throne that we want to be focused on today because you are the highest authority. You are the king of kings. There is no power, there is no authority outside of your sovereign decree. So Lord, we understand then that You have ordained certain structures in life, in human history, in which we are to submit, but our submission is ultimately to you. Father, our flesh, in our flesh, hearing the word submit is so difficult. Help us now as we turn our attention to your word to hear clearly what you are saying through the inspired writers of the text. Help us to hear it clearly, to rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil, and to happily and diligently apply it to our life for the glory of Christ. I pray that my words would be clear, that your word would stand forth, not my words. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. We're going to begin, we just have two main title headings today because it's very much set up like it was last week with an exhortation and then the motivation in obeying the exhortation. So we're just going to focus our time on those two things, on the exhortation and then on the motivation. So let's start with the exhortation, it's verse 18. It is, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. As we study scripture, it's imperative that we ask ourselves and ask of the text, why did the author write this? What would this have meant to his original audience? That practice becomes perhaps all the more important as we find concepts and terminology that carries a negative connotation in our modern vernacular. I'm referring to our context here of slavery. Our text opens with the word servant, but a more accurate reading would actually be slave. And depending on what translation you have this morning, that's indeed how the word is translated. But it's not the normal Greek word, which is doulos, that we are more familiar with, such as in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, where Paul opens Paul, a servant, or a doulos of Christ Jesus. This instead is the word oiketes, And it is referring more specifically to a house slave. In other words, this is a very particular role that Peter has in mind here. 
Now, I know we hear the word slavery. We think of slaves and slavery. And what comes to our mind is the form of slavery that mars this country's history. Undoubtedly, the type of slavery that was practiced here in America was particularly heinous. And we do thank God that it has ended. To the best of our ability, though, we must separate that idea of slavery from what occurred in the ancient world. We want to discover what was going on here, not what do I think about these words. Now, while it was certainly no bed of roses at that time either, there were situations of slavery in the ancient, ancient world that were at least not abusive. We can get a glimpse of that because Peter says to submit to masters not just the good, but also the unjust. What does that mean? That there were some good and gracious masters. While I have no desire to paint a picture in your mind this morning of a pleasant, beautiful experience of slavery, and then find myself condoning it, I do want to help us take a peek into the ancient world. Slavery was very common at this time when Peter is writing this letter. And there were at least a few reasons why people would end up as slaves. You see, in our nation's history, slavery was race-based. It was against a particular race. It was targeted against people of a particular skin color. But in the ancient world, it wasn't like this. They could be captives from war. They could have been born into slavery or simply because of poverty. In some situations, a person would sell themselves into slavery because of their extreme poverty. They would think, well, at least I'll have food and shelter and these sorts of things. Slaves had various tasks. Some of them were able to be property owners. They could keep their own traditions. And some of them were even very well educated. You see, they would be the family doctor. They would be the teacher to the children of their masters. And they would even be entrusted in some situations with money as a treasurer. You're familiar with the parable of the talents from Matthew chapter 25. The parable goes that a man was going on a journey when he calls his servants, his slaves, to him and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another he gave two talents, and to another he gave one talent. Now we have this idea, at least I used to think, that a talent was a coin. And he flipped them, here's five coins, here's two coins, here's one coin. But in reality, a talent was worth, at that time, approximately 20 years of income. In other words, this was a lot of money. Some estimations put the amount of money that they were entrusted with into the several millions of dollars. And this was the master entrusting his slaves with that much money. So do you understand? They, had, they could have nobler tasks. But a slave, though often performing more noble tasks, 
was still not considered a human with full rights. It was an individual who was considered the property of another. And thus, the master could do anything he wanted to or with his slaves. And that puts a whole other perspective on when Paul says, Paul, a doulos of Christ Jesus. He is saying, Paul, a man who has been purchased by Christ Jesus, who has no rights outside of direct obedience to his master. But this is why we find here in our context Peter's clarification not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. You see, they were viewed as property. And there were certainly masters who were not just. But I want to note something here. Just as last week we saw that Peter wasn't calling the Christians to revolt against civil authorities, but instead submit, here also he's not calling for the slaves in that situation to run away or to overthrow the powers that be. But let us not interpret this as Peter condoning slavery by any stretch of the imagination. But instead, he's helping Christians, as I said a bit ago, to act and to think in a God-honoring way in whatever situation they are in. The Holy Spirit, through Peter, is much more focused on how Christians act in their God-ordained situations. Do you have an unjust master? God is more concerned with how you're interacting if you are his child. It is within this context that the exhortation comes for slaves to submit to their masters. Not just to the ones that treat them right, but also to the ones who are unjust. He says to do this with all respect. Yes, even to those who mistreat you. Once again, we see the counterintuitive nature of our faith. So let's put this into today's terms. Peter is writing about this servant and master dynamic because it was so common and so prevalent in the ancient world. It, it, it wouldn't be that everyone was going off to clock in and out at an eight to five, you understand. We have a different economic system today than they did in the ancient world. And so we need to understand what's going on there so that we can now understand how to apply it here. While we might not see here in America, at least, this slave and master dynamic, we do have the employee, and the employer relationship. But I want you to understand that this was such an important thing as the Holy Spirit inspired the text that at five different points in the New Testament, there is direct exhortation for this dynamic. That's Ephesians chapter 6, that's Colossians chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 6, in Titus chapter 2, and then, of course, here in 1 Peter. And that's not even including Philemon. 
Philemon is a tiny little letter that is actually written to the master of a slave named Onesimus. Philemon is the slave master. And he's writing, Paul is, to Philemon to help them to reconcile their relationship. And that's not even including all of the times it's mentioned in the Gospels. Or in the Old Testament, there are laws in the Mosaic Law pertaining to slavery. Now, I say all of this to say that this is not an obscure reference in Scripture. That is to say that there are principles then that are timeless. There are timeless truths that we are going to draw out of the text even though we don't have this exact sort of dynamic. Are you with me this morning? I know that was a lot of history, but it was necessary. So again, though in our context today, we don't have this slave and master dynamic, the closest approximation is going to be that of the workplace. Hopefully it's obvious, though, that it's not an exact, exactly the same type of situation However, we do need to hear every bit as much today that we are to submit to our authorities with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. It's easy to submit to those in authority who are kind and gentle and giving, or when you're on their quote-unquote good side. But you know what, friends? Even the world does that. It's another thing entirely to do what Christians are called to do and submit to the type of authority, even if it is unjust. Now let's get some clarification on what he's saying here. This word unjust is scolios, which sounds a lot like a word you've probably heard before, scoliosis the crooked spine. And that's actually what the word means, is crooked or curved. But it's used when it's used as a metaphor, it's talking about perverseness. Paul uses this word in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, when he speaks of a crooked and twisted generation. He was indicating how wicked the times were. So this is the idea, that you are to submit to those who do good, and treat you right, and also to those who treat you perversely or wickedly, to those who are unjust and who act in an unrighteous way towards you. Notice again, the call is not to overthrow those in power or revolt against them. It's not even to plead your cause but instead it is to submit even if they are wicked and evil. Now we've all experienced this in the workplace, I'm sure, where you've had a boss that was overly demanding, who didn't treat people well, who played favorites, and so on and so on we could go. You've all had this situation, I'm sure, yes? Perhaps some of you would say, yes, I'm in that right now. What do you do in that situation then? Many would say, tell them off. Put them in their place. Tell them that they're not going to treat you 
like that, your own flesh will tell you to give them a piece of your mind. But Peter, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says something entirely counterintuitive and says, no, what you need to do is submit to them with all respect. Church, he's telling this to slaves who had no rights. They were considered property. How much more do we, in the fortunate context in which we live, have the responsibility to submit with all respect to our employers? That means when your coworkers are gathered in the break room and, or in the group chat or whatever, and they're venting their disdain for management, you don't say, I've got a story to tell. You think that's bad. Let me tell you about how I've been treated. No, you don't engage. You treat your mass, your authority figures with all respect. When your superior has unfairly criticized you or passes you up for a promotion that you're more than qualified for, you don't give vent to your prideful anger, but instead we submit with all respect. Now this question, this certainly does require some wisdom and discernment. Because the question could arise in your mind, so am I just supposed to be stepped on all the time? What about my rights, right? What about my dignity? I'm miserable in this place. Well, let us first say by way of reminder that something that Peter has been doing this entire letter long, I hope it's coming across to you. He is pointing to a better hope beyond this life. I want you to turn back to chapter 1 with me. I want us to be reminded whenever Peter turns to start to give exhortation, what does he say? Verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope halfway on the grace. Does anyone's translation say that? Set your hope as much as you can, unless it's too hard for you to do it. Set your hope on the grace to come. Does anyone's translation read that way? No, it says set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you when? Next week? When? Next year? No, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Friends, that's an entirely different time frame than what we work within. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. The problem with so many of, of the ways that we struggle as we are growing in the Lord is that we fail to apply that to every situation in our life. God is calling you to holiness even in the workplace. God is calling you to holiness even as it relates to your submission to government. God is calling you to holiness 
even as it relates to your marriage when we get there. God calls you to holiness in every area of your life. You see, it is one thing to know the word, but it's another thing to apply the word. We have to live the doctrine that we come to love and understand. So when he says, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, you remind yourself, before Christ, I was the kind of person who would talk back. I would disrespect. I would slander. I would rebel against authority. But now that I am a member of the royal priesthood, I live as a sojourner and an exile, yes, even at my eight to five. You do that how? By submitting to your authorities with all respect. For being honest, the source of so much of our frustration when we don't get treated as we think we ought to or we don't get what we think we deserve at work, it is pride. It is saying, well, I, well, I, well, I. Pride wants to rebel. Pride wants to talk back. Pride wants to give vent to your anger. Pride wants to dwell on how you are treated. But a Christian is to care much more about how they treat others. That is our first priority. It's not how do I get treated. It's how do I treat other people. Listen carefully. You may get deeply offended in the workplace. You may have cause to be furious. You may be treated absolutely unfairly, but nothing that people could do to you compares to how much you have personally offended God in your rebellion against Him. Nothing that people can do to you compares to the offense that you have given God when you have lived in rebellion towards Him. You see, when we have that in mind, it humbles us in situations. I heard an old reformer had said that it doesn't bother him when people say bad things about him. Because why? Not because he tells them off or he punches them in the face. He says, because I am much worse than they think. Do we live with that type of mentality? Do we live with the type of mentality that says everything I have is a mercy and a grace as it is? But secondly, this does not mean that God requires of you that you remain in an absolutely toxic work environment or that you are to obey the directions that your employer gives you that would cause you to disobey God. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is instructing the Corinthian church on how we are to view the situations in our life that we find ourselves in. He says that we are to remain in whatever situation God found us in. If you're a bondservant, remain a bondservant. But then he says in chapter 7, verse 21, were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. 
If you have a chance to gain your freedom from slavery, go for it. But in the same way, if you're in a toxic work environment and your work is now a tremendous burden upon you, in wisdom, seek for gainful employment. There's nothing wrong with that. You will not find yourself in disobedience to this text by doing that. Further, if your employer is wanting you to do anything that would cause you to be in disobedience to God, listen, you must disobey your employer with all respect. Not only should you, you must. If they're asking you to lie to customers or they're asking you to mishandle money or anything else that would cause you to sin, you must obey God rather than men. Let's look now at our motivation. Verses 19 and 20, let's read them again. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Truth be told, we could probably have an entirely separate sermon just on these two verses alone. But I want us to see that Peter is giving to us our mindset our motivation, our focus. In America in 2021, we assign a high value on comfort. We don't want to be made uncomfortable, and we don't want to be inconvenienced, and we absolutely don't want to feel pain. Most importantly, we don't want to have a hard time at work. These early Christians clearly would at times find themselves in situations where they're being treated unfairly. In chapter 3, we're going to see Peter dealing with this directly as he speaks of them being reviled and slandered. Chapter 1 spoke of them having been grieved by various trials. Christianity has never been a popular, welcomed religion. Christianity was born in affliction and it thrives in affliction. It has always been under persecution of some form or another because Christ has always been hated by people lost in sin. All the more when there were fewer Christians on the planet in general that you really stood out as a sore thumb. So these Christians would suffer unjustly, but also some would suffer Justly. Let's deal with these two categories of suffering. He says, What credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? This is how, you, how severe the situation could get for these early believers. Disobeying their master's orders could lead to them being beaten. The masters would have been fully operating within their rights. Because remember, slaves were viewed as property. Peter essentially says, look, if you do wrong, expect consequences. And if the consequences are harsh, deal with it. And when you deal with it, don't expect a prize for your enduring because this was your fault. When you do wrong and you get in trouble for it, 
You are not a martyr of the faith when you deal with your own consequences and your own discipline. So in the same way, if your employer passes down directions and you don't follow them, or you break company, company policy, or you're chronically late to work, or you're always leaving things at home, you cannot say, I'm honoring God with my suffering when you get in trouble for doing those things. Why? Because you're not submitting to your authorities with all respect. You're working as you see fit. You're treating your workplace haphazardly. Remember, our God is a just God. We don't get special treatment with consequences just because our sins are forgiven. We still experience consequences when we do the wrong thing. But remember, your exhortation as a citizen of heaven, as one who lives as a sojourner in this world, is to submit to authority with all respect. But what if the clear instructions given to me are to do something that will cause me to sin? As we stated earlier, you must obey God rather than men. What if you suffer punishment because you disobeyed clear commands and you lost your job? Is this suffering then just? Well, let's look at what Peter says. He says, what credit is it if when you sin? Is it sinful to do the right thing in the eyes of God? Of course not. No, it's not. If you have disobeyed instructions that would lead you to sin and you are punished for it, you did the right thing and you are not suffering justly. This is further solidified when Peter says, but if when you do good and suffer, do you understand the distinction? We can do the wrong thing and suffer for it, and we're suffering justly when we disobey the commands of our authority figures. But if we are disobeying the commands of our authority figures because it would cause us to sin against God, then we're doing the right thing. And whenever punishment comes because of that, that is unjust suffering in the eyes of God. He says, this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. I find this absolutely beautiful. I want to take this moment to reiterate that Peter is, throughout this letter, pointing believers to God exhorting us to not keep our focus or set our hopes on anything down here, but in all things to be mindful of God. But you don't know how hard it is. You don't know how difficult my life is. You don't know how hard it is at work. You don't know how mean they are to me. God is the greater reality. God is the greater reality than any reality of this earth. Do you understand what I mean when I say that? You might be suffering tremendously. God is greater. 
you might go through incredibly difficult circumstances, God is greater. My friend, if you would disagree with that this morning, then we need to revisit the gospel. We need to look again at what God, the Bible says about God and how having a high and lofty view of this God does get you through anything in life. Yes, even in the workplace. So that when you're suffering unjustly at work, you would remind yourself of the greater reality that is in Christ Jesus. We live in a fallen world. We're surrounded by fallen people. We must not be surprised when fallen people treat us in a fallen way. They are acting in their nature. It is not their nature to honor each other. It is not in their nature to love the brethren. It is in their nature to be selfish. It is in their nature to be prideful, to be crass, to be rude. Are there times when you will go through situations in which you are being treated unfairly and unjustly and in a downright evil manner? Yes. But the, the message of Christianity is not that if you live a life that is pleasing to God, that everyone will get along with you and all will go well with you. If you are believing that this morning, please hit control alt delete in your brain and end that task because that is not true if anything the opposite is true the message of christianity is that if you endure every manner of hardship and trial for the sake of your god not only will he sustain you through it but he will reward you for it peter writes here twice that it is a gracious thing in the eyes of God when we endure unjust suffering for doing good. Have you ever thought about it that way? It's a gracious thing in the eyes of God. Why? Because we will learn next week that we are walking in the footsteps of His Son. We are walking like Christ when we do good and we suffer for it. Christ suffered in His body at the hands of lawless men, at the hands of the government, at the hands of unjust punish, punishment. He was innocent, yet he endured for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, and he did this bearing the weight of your sin and the wrath that was not meant for him, but for you. He did this that you might put your faith in him and so be saved. He did this so he could sprinkle you clean from your uncleanness, giving you a new heart with his laws written upon it, with eternity stamped on your eyeballs to make you a people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, not so that you'd be at the workplace saying, what about mine? But that you would be in the workplace saying, let me proclaim to you the glories of this Christ 
Because he is better than having an easy time at this job. He's better than the promotion. He's better than a raise. He's better than being friends with everybody. Jesus Christ is better than all of these things. He doesn't only save you from the punishment of your sin, but the desire for it. Church, this is your motivation in the midst of unjust suffering, in the midst of trials, and it's submitting to your authorities that it is to delight and glorify the Lord your God. That you can know, as I'm here suffering unjustly, mindful of God, thinking of Him, thinking of how Christ endured all suffering, that we can almost picture our Father smiling at us. That's my son. And he's acting like my son, Jesus. You don't understand. My bosses are so mean to me. I can't do anything right in their eyes. Again, if you can in wisdom and in a respectful way find other gainful employment, then you are not disobeying God in doing so. But while you are there, do good. Honor God. Be mindful of God, as Peter writes. Remember that what you are doing is for and unto the Lord. Colossians chapter 3. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. When you clock in tomorrow morning, have that mentality about you. And then see if it is not just your nature to submit to authority with all respect. And when you suffer unjustly, that you know what verse 25 says. The wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong that he has done. And there is no partiality. These are not Peter's words, but it's undoubtedly expressing the same idea. Why do you submit to the authority of your unreasonable and unjust superior? Because you are serving the Lord Christ. Let's stand. As Peter has exhorted us to respectfully submit to our superiors, regardless of how we are treated, let us then seek to do good, mindful of God in all that we do, knowing that when we endure unjust suffering for his sake, we are pleasing to him. And may Christ be glorified as we apply this text to our lives. We're going to pray and sing a song. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for the clarity with which you speak in your word. We thank you that you have not left us out here in this world to just try to figure it out for ourselves. But you've clearly given us the helper, the comforter, who will comfort us in all things, who will help us endure all things. And you've given us your word to guide us through all things. I pray that you help us in our weakness to honor Christ, to be mindful of God in all that we do, especially as we submit to the authority in our life.
We pray for this in the name of Jesus. Amen.